Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. So excited to have you on this extraordinary broadcast where we're going to solve one of the really most persistent problems in uh, culture, which is speciesist language. What? You say, my gosh, we've got fires, floods, um, and all sorts of disasters, extreme heat uh, happening, climate change, uh, world hunger. Speciesist language is a problem. Yes, it is because all of those problems I mentioned stem from our toxic relationship with nature and how we abuse animals. And one of the reasons we feel entitled is because our language is speciesist. And in the next hour, you're gonna learn what speciesism is. We are so delighted to have with us today an extraordinary suspense novelist who has written a trilogy she's gonna tell us all about, Maya Cohen Ronan. And um, I just wanna ask you, first of all, what is the importance of dealing with this issue of essentially uh, prejudice against animals in language? Well, words have power, right? They, they have the power to construct our reality, to normalize violence, to make it, um, to validate violence. So if we take out that, um, that the language that validates it, that makes it normal, that builds the, the construct, the social construct that allows us to be a violent, oppressive against animals, then we, then we, we take that we regain the power. We regain that control over the discourse that we have around animals. And so this is so important because if we really want to reach animal liberation, the, um, deeply seated belief or um, acceptance that animals are ours to use, ours to be abused by, is going to be, it will have to be mitigated, that language. Why you? You are a <laughs> novelist. You've written this extraordinary suspense novel that has an animal rights theme and a feminist theme. Why did you decide? Tell us your story uh, and your journey as you outlined in the letter to me, which I thought was fascinating, your journey toward becoming a novelist with the specific, the specific goal of uh, ending prejudice in language. Yeah, well, it, I started as a reader. Um, uh, I'm a quite a, a keen reader. I read a lot of suspense mo uh, books and I enjoy it. I love uh, whodunit. I love um, detective movie, uh, detective books and thrillers. And I, um, since becoming vegan and animal rights activist as well, every time I picked a book, um, I was struck by this deeply seated speciesism animal cruelty, but very trivialized, very normalized. Um, someone would just pick up um, a sandwich with chicken, right? Um, or, or eat bacon. And it would be mentioned very casually in the book. Um, 
And the thing that really made it hard for me is that you read a book, you get to know the um, protagonist, you, you start to kind of like them and suddenly, bam, they they do this thing that is cruel, that is, yeah, that is not, they don't, they're not even aware of, of themselves doing it and you think, oh, not this again, this um, animal cruelty that is so trivialized because everyone's doing it and the author, obviously not a vegan, uh, not aware and did not even bother um, thinking about it. And I just, I felt so let down. Every time that I picked up a book, it was again the same thing. And uh, around 2015, I just had enough. I basically felt um, this is not working. Um, I, I was always quite a writer as well, but I wrote things and I kept them in a drawer. I never published them. And I thought, if it's not there, why, why don't I write it? I can write something that I enjoy reading, which is a suspense dystopia type thing, and um, make it um, free of speciesism. No one is going to eat bacon on my watch. But then I had another thought while oh. this... Yes, and we'll get to that thought in a second. We have a caller who has a call question for you. Simone, your question or thought uh, for Maya. Hi. Well, I just really wanted to chime in and say that, you know, it's such a big deal to change our language about animals, but it's a slow-going process, right? Because women are still called derogatory terms all the time on television, in the media, and now slowly, right, it's starting to change. But with animals, it's, um, it's even more dangerous, I feel like, because, you know, once you start to raise children and use terms like, oh, that person's bad, they're a snake, or, you know, that's a dog, you know, about a man that maybe is too um, aggressive with women, or, you know, or calling somebody a pig, or something like that is immediately putting these thoughts into children's minds as they learn language. And so, you know, I think we should be pushing for dictionary terms to be changed. I think we should be pushing for uh, the media to stop using these terms um, about animals because I actually feel that it's not just insulting, um, but it's dangerous. Thank you, Simone. And Simone Ray is an amazing activist in her own right. Uh, and country singer, vegan country singer. Um, thank you for that question. Well, yes, this is the point. Uh, I remember when I had a TV show and it was a crime show, sometimes the guests would get on and if they really found a defendant or a suspect to be vile, they'd say, he's an animal. And I would <laughs> stop them and say, why are you calling them animals? Animals are innocent beings who uh, don't uh, kill for no reason, who don't uh, run around and uh, torture for pleasure. Why are you calling criminals animals? It, that's how demonized animals are in our society. And of course, when I called them out on it, people would act like I was crazy, like I was being inappropriate. Like, why are yes. you saying that? She's kooky. <laughs> and, and, and is there any way that we can change this? Because it's so deeply ingrained in our society, but I do believe we have to, Maya. 
Yes, and I loved what Simone said. And she actually pinpointed children. And I totally agree. I mean, the cows give us milk, the chicken give us egg. Is it eggs? Is it's um, um, a children's rhyme? It starts at that age. I've got children myself, and I saw the kind of content that they're being fed with uh, books and uh, nursery rhymes, etc. They all um, trivialize the the way that the cows give us milk. Of course, they want to give us milk. What I mean the whole purpose of a cow being a cow is to give us milk, right? And this well, is I mean, you must make clear that you're being ironic and sarcastic. Yes. Yes, that's, that's, it. that's the indoctrination that we go through since we are very, very young. And we see it also in commercials on TV, you know, around eating burgers, how cool and manly and awesome it is, etc. So this is very deeply engraved in our society. And how do we stem it out? We just need to be very aware. And we need to start this process of, like you said, Jane, you... Um, when people say, oh, they're behaving like animals to indicate antisocial behavior. No, animals would never do that. Never. We are the only creature, we are the only species who destroys the planet the way we do. No other animal would do that. And so that is, again, putting the focus back. And um, the speciesism is so trivialized because people don't even think about it. They're not aware of it. It's our job to make it, to put the spotlight on it, like you're doing now, like I was trying to do in my book, albeit in a more um, subtle way, uh, because um, I really wanted to address uh, pre-vegans. I really like that term, talking about language. You use pre-vegans. I, love, I always use non-vegan, but I love pre-vegan because it means it's, um, it's a transitional thing. It's not a state, a static thing. So I, my books, I wanted them to ap- appeal to pre-vegans as well. So the, the anti-speciesism, the animal rights, the focus on it is, is subtle. Um, but you have to have something there for people to read. There was nothing, uh, right? There was nothing there. I was so, every time I was hoping, I picked up a book and I was hoping this will not occur. And yet again, it happened. And um, to a point where I was just not enjoying reading anymore. And so by providing a book or a trilogy, just started with one, obviously, and <laughs> became three, um, at least I know that I've done my share to provide an alternative or to show other people who want to write books and not sure how to do it with in terms of activism um, for the animals, how that they can they can certainly do that. Um, something else that Simone said that really struck struck a chord with me is that she said um, the the deep the misogyny in the language is very bad, but it's kind of getting better. I, I think maybe there is more awareness, but I think there it's very deeply still there. Uh, and that really highlights for me that there's very deep con- connection between misogyny and speciesism. For we all know that women are often looked at, treated as a piece of meat. Um, sexualized um, way. Um, Cows on commercials often portrayed as um, seductive, feminine 
cow women. <laughs> I don't know how to really <laughs> say it, but it's it, this interlinkage is very, very clear. Um, but all you you really have to uh, follow some very strong and passionate uh, female women or female uh, activists uh, around the world who are very bold and they do things um, out very out there. Um, just and then and then read the comments on Facebook to jump, see. Let me jump in and and ask you about this connection between uh, exploitation of women, exploitation of animals. It's a very touchy subject, uh, and I want to be very careful because um, women who have been abused can be triggered, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to. Here's the dilemma: animals have been so demonized in our society so denigrated that if you draw any comparison between animal suffering and human suffering, people get offended. Yeah. So to me, it's a hallmark of how, how much we denigrated animals to the point where if you even try to draw a comparison, people say, how dare you? And they feel that. And certainly we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to trigger anyone. So we have to be very careful in how we approach this conversation. Nonetheless, I think it's fair to say that industrialized animal agriculture is the absolute violation of the sacred feminine because none of these animals are making love on these factory farms. They are all artificially impregnated. The term that the industry uses is rape rack. And the males are exploited too. They extract their sperm and they inseminate the animals. So it's the violation of the sexual um, arena uh, to force these billions of animals into existence. And now we're getting the blowback in the form of extreme weather, climate change. And what we're seeing now is just an appetizer to uh, the ecological apocalypse that is barreling towards us if we don't end industrialized animal agriculture, which has really only been in existence for a very short period of time and has had devastating consequences. I mean, in the 18th century, it didn't exist. In the 19th century, it was kind of revving up. In the 20th century, it really got underway. Uh, we... Uh, saw that with uh, some famous novels that one in particular uh, that was written about the Chicago slaughterhouses. And now in the 21st century, we are starting to already see the blowback, the devastating floods across Europe, the extreme heat waves, record-breaking heat waves here in the American West, where people are, are literally not even uh, able to walk out of their homes. They feel like fainting. Uh, We're seeing people collapse from heat. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. It's getting hotter and hotter. And one of the reasons is these feedback loops. So it's exponential. So we have to deal with this. And if women woke up and realized that they are participating in the ultimate patriarchy if they eat animals. It's the violation of the sacred feminine reproductive system for profit and greed. If women made that connection and rose up, we would end all this immediately 
and we could immediately begin to reverse climate change and save our planet. But so many women are A, offended by any comparison or any um, commonality indicated. I know because I've had that experience of talking about this and being told you are being inappropriate. And uh, I wanted to listen. I wasn't going to just fight back. I certainly don't want to say anything that's going to be hurtful. But information is information. This is crucial information. We are destroying our planet with animal agriculture. Industrialized animal agriculture can only exist through forcible impregnation. And forcible impregnation is the violation of the feminine reproductive system, along with the masculine, but primarily the feminine reproductive system. The babies are, I call it a rape abduction and murder operation. The, yeah. the, the animals are raped. As soon as their babies are born, their babies are abducted, and then they're all killed. It's a rape abduction and murder operation. And if that offends somebody, I'm sorry, that is the reality according to definitions that are in the dictionary. So how do we approach this and, and uh, what do we do about it? First, I wanna to go to a caller, Paige, your question or thought for Maya, our suspense novelist who's vegan animal rights activist. Hello, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I think I heard you say something about ethical warriors. I'm raising a daughter and a son and I think your trilogy is going to be so enlightening for so many. Let me ask you, so um, as you travel, it looks like travel around the world, I, I think that's what I've heard here, what are you finding as far as ways in which uh, we as solutionaries can combat this climate crisis and this um, disconnection with the animals? What are your thoughts on that? Thanks, Paige. Um, I think we tend to think that it's um, the problems are unique where we are. I live in New Zealand. I can probably tell I'm not American, but it's the same everywhere. And um, this, this, um, the the denial that Jane talked about. This denial. This um, um, we we have this climate strike for action children and young young children students they go on strike they they march in the streets and they demand the government to do something to battle climate change and i support it a hundred percent and this is not just new zealand it's all over the world right greta thunberg the great greta thunberg started it um in sweden but um and i support it a hundred percent i think it's lovely and i love how children and young people are passionate about this and they go out to the street and they fight for justice uh and they demand the government to do something my only issue with that is that um, no one or hardly anyone is telling those young people, oh, hold on, You'd, it's, <laughs> it's right for you to ask governments to do something about it. It's, they have the money, they have the means, but you yourself as an individual can also do something about it. And what you can do is so powerful that with, with what you do, meaning um, stop participating in animal abuse, stop eating animals, stop consuming animal secretions, etc. You can help reverse climate change by yourself as an individual because it's one person and then another, another. We, we create this um, great power 
for good. So um, I think really we need to help young people to understand firstly that they have the power. It's not just going to the government and ask them to do things. You have the power, you can do things too, but also so they understand what it is that um, industrial agriculture, big ag, creates, does to, to us, to our, not just the planet's health, our health as well, but to the animals and kind of connect the dots and see it. Because I think what I see, and, and um, you, you know, New Zealand is an island country. It's, it's, it's got um, really passionate um, youth. And I see a lot of... Um, um, strong voices also in the in the rainbow community and indigenous um, community and what I would love and there's it started already here what I love to see more is how all these things all these rights are connected and seen as an as a whole because everything is connected all oppressions are connected are interconnected and so just have that um, spotlight and so, yeah, here is where I come in as, a, as an individual and I, I'm not uh, famous and I don't have a lot of money, but I did what I could. I wrote a book and the book is um, ideal for, uh, pre for teenagers, for young adults to I'm read. It's that book in a second. Uh, we've uh, got a caller. Lindsay, yes. your question or thought for Maya, a suspense novelist of animal rights, vegan novels. Hi there, um, Maya. I just wanted to thank you. I just have a comment. I want to thank you so much for your work. Uh, I think it's so important, particularly with young people, as you guys have been discussing, to get the correct message in schools and in college. And there's so many, as you said, books there out there that are that promote speciesism, and it's so inculcated into our psyche that. Um, you know, it's difficult to break through, but any way, like, as you say, as individuals, any way we can do it through our talents, through our skills, whatever you do, if you're a writer, if you're a singer, whatever it is, we as vegans have to get the message out there, and we have to talk to people when they don't want to hear our message, because that's the only hope we have. Thank, Thank you. you, Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay Baker, another amazing activist. Um, I want to ask you a question, and my question is, tell us about your trilogy. Spell it out for us. How does, how, what's the plot, and how does it relate to veganism, animal rights, and ending speciesist language? Let's get right to it. This is the heart of it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I decided to write um, a book that um, has no animal cruelty in it. And as I was, it, it was a long process for me to think about what I wanted to write. And it was about two years that kind of churned into me in my head. And I was thinking uh, various things that I could write about. And it kind of formed, it's like a, a jigsaw puzzle. It kind of forms the pieces. Oh, I'll do this and this. I knew two things. I knew that I wanted a, a protagonist who is a girl, was a, a female and, um, and uh, to be strong in, in most of the of the head, heading um, cast of my book, the protagonists are girls. But also I thought, okay, so I'm writing a book that is um, safe for vegans to read, but why actually not take it a step further? Why won't I write a book that 
vegans can identify with, can celebrate, can feel, oh, this is our book and, and we get it. And even a step further still is why won't I write a book that pre-vegans can read, not suspecting anything because it's just a dystopian thriller like any other, but then the message is interwoven into the page into the pages. So in essence, it's almost like a, an extension of, uh, of my outreach uh, activism. And, and that's what I've done. So it's kind of all these things. It's, um, it tells, and the, the other thing that I need to, to explain is that I was uh, highly uh, influenced by Animal Farm by George Orwell. I watched it as a, as a child and I was fascinating how he used animals to, to tell a story about humans, essentially. So I kind of reversed this concept. I used humans, girls in a farm to tell a story or bring a message that is essentially about, about animals. And I know books like that do exist. I mean, The Handmaid tale but it um, those books I, I would put under accidentally appealing to vegans but I sat down to deliberately and calculating um, Lee to write a book that is specifically going to tell a story that will shed a light on the first book is more about theory the second book is about a range of other things. And the third book is about politics, which is, the third book just recently came out. It's Okay, it's full, yeah. hold it. Yeah. Give me the 30-second elevator pitch. I got into <laughs> an elevator. You've got 30 seconds to tell me the plot. Yeah. Okay, Sunny Sunny is, is my protagonist named Sunny. She, she is in a farm. She lives in a farm that is very odd it's uh, the whole thing is very dark she never been outside of the farm there is a big shed in the middle of the farm that girls are not allowed to go until they reach a certain age and then suddenly at one point the girls and sunny's age are all called into the shed and sunny's mother who is a bit of an absent mother tells her sunny you need to run you need to run and the first book really is about the, the, the whole, what is this shit? What, what's happening there? She actually does go through and then the whole escape and the escape and the pursuit and how they're being, she and uh, her friends, how, how they're being perceived by the uh, um, outer world because she is in a, in a farm to be, to, to, to be a product. Right. Um, and, and then the book, she escapes. And, and I won't tell much more than that because it's it's all it will leave you at the edge of your seat. OK, so have you what's the reaction? I we put the link on where you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can order the whole trilogy. This is also for young adults. I mean, adults yeah. can read it, but it's, it's also a good book for young adults. What are some of the reviews? How is it doing? It's doing pretty well. Um, so I wrote this book not to be famous or make a lot of money. I really wanted wanted this book to to do to go out there and spread the, the the message. And so I really starting to get back all these really lovely, lovely comments from a lot of pre vegans who read it um, and say things like "You opened my eyes." Or I can't stop thinking about it. It's been weeks since I finished um, the books, and I, I can't stop thinking about it. Or um, so this the books. Um, there was actually on my 
on my uh, Facebook page, a conversation between two women, because one finished it, loved it, and gave it to her friend to read. And this whole conversation in, in comments, how it profoundly changed their lives and how they're now um, changing their, their choices or what they're doing to be um, uh, vegan. So I, I feel humbled by this. This is really um, the purpose. <laughs> People are asking... What are the titles of the book? The first book is The Shed. It was published in 2018. The second book, the sequel, is Liberation, published in 2020. And the final book of the trilogy, It Was In Our Hands, just came out. You can get it on Amazon. And so if you if you put in The Shed or just follow the link on this video, you can get into it. So now, next 30-second elevator pitch. What is the connection between feminism and uh, your trilogy. And um, yeah, take it away. Um, so it's not just that um, Sunny is a, is a girl and all her friends, but she is um, exploited to become a product of a certain type. And it was very important to me that um, Sunny will be very strong character, flawed, but strong. And um, she goes through you mentioned women who go through abuse. She does go through some abuse on the way. And it was important to me to write it in the way that it's it's clear that because the, in the same way that women are seen as an object to be a, a pleasurable object, the same goes to um, other species who are seen as products. It's, it's their objects. And so Sunny is raging against it. She's fighting against it and she survives it. That's objectification and becoming an individual in her own right. Um, fantastic. Now, uh, I think you should consider uh, getting some screenplays churned out so it can become a movie. And uh, I've often said that writing screenplays are a lot harder than writing novels because every single word and action and direction has to lead to the arcs and the ultimate conclusion. It, there, there are formulas, but um, I think that yours would be a great movie. And look at how popular The Handmaiden's Tale is right now. I mean, it's super popular. So either a TV series or a movie, I think, would be absolutely extraordinary. So uh, very quickly, have you thought about doing that? Um, of course, the first thing, some of the first reactions that I received are, oh, this will make a great movie. This has to go on Netflix or whatever. It, and um, people immediately commented about it. And I agree. Um, but I'm just a little, <laughs> a small person from New Zealand. <laughs> I don't have contacts in the industry. So if anyone out there. Yeah, you can get in touch with people. And there are screenwriters who would probably love to jump all over this. Um, you, can, you can make a deal. Yeah. You, we'll talk about that off camera. Now, let me, <laughs> let's get back to our theme because I just want to tell everybody that we are also putting together a, a very, what I would call instant mini doc on this issue. Because I did a fascinating interview with some educators who are trying to tell the wire services and the um, people who create the language rules, stop referring to animals as it. So there is a petition uh, and an effort to try to get the news services to stop calling animals it. This is one of the most important issues. Explain why 
it's so important for this to happen, Maya. Absolutely. And I correct people on Facebook and social media if they use it. Um, it's a he or a she or a they, right? Just same as humans. I think it is a, and um, English is, is, uh, has been for years, my second language is kind of reversed and became first language now, but it has been second language. And I studied English at school. And beforehand, I was, uh, my mom sent me to private lessons when I was six. And I remember um, being taught that, oh, a dog is an it. And I had a dog at home and I thought, how can it be an it? That, that, that made no sense to me at all. I have a dog, he's a male. So he's a he, right? Why, why is it an it? It's not a table. He's not a chair. He's not a thing. And that's exactly the issue. By turning them, the animals, into it's, into things, into commodity, we make them uh, something that has no personality, that has no individuality, that, that we can abuse and we can use because it's like, you know, you know, my phone or my pen or whatever. It's nothing. And I can hurt them. And they would not react or respond in the same way that a human would because they're not human. They're not feeling the same way. Even though in, in New Zealand now, we, um, by an act of law, we recognize animals' as sentience. But when we derive the, what makes them people, because animals are people too, and they feel and they fear and they dream and they, you know, love um, and they, they feel pain, when we make them an it, then we, we take away all the, all the um, uh, attributes that make them individuals. And that is very, very dangerous. You know, from the, <laughs> from the dawn of, 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 of history, people who wanted to abuse other people knew that too. I mean, look at, um, I'm sorry to jump into. Well, uh, we, so we want to be careful about our historical references. Yeah. And I say that because we live in a very sensitive time. And there are a lot of controversies about, again, comparing human suffering to animal suffering. So yeah. I don't want to offend anybody. I no, think sure. it's sad that animals have been so denigrated and demonized uh, that to draw a comparison between human and animal is considered an insult. If somebody wants to call me a pig, I say, thank you. <laughs> That's a beautiful compliment. Pigs are highly intelligent creatures. If somebody wants to call me a cow, I would say, thank you. Cows are beautiful, innocent animals. They are so much more social and intelligent than we give them credit for. If somebody wants to call me a chicken, I'd say, yes, thank you. I am a chicken. I would love to be as, as playful and as charming as a chicken. And uh, a turkey, do you see how all of these animals now their very names are considered insults. Yeah. And yes. that is the big problem we have to solve. So I myself and many other animal activists often have to stop mid-sentence and say, oh my gosh, I'm engaging in speciesist language. When we describe a problem that keeps coming back in different ways, we say whack-a-mole and then we have to stop ourselves and say, whoa, why are we talking about whacking moles? That's <laughs> exhibiting violence toward an animal. Uh, how many ways to skin a cat? Again, extreme violence directed at animals 
and it is ingrained into our uh, language, but how do we uningrain it? We know there are certain things that used to be okay to say about fellow humans that are now no longer okay to say. And if people say them, everybody says, what's wrong with this person? They're really out of line. They're inappropriate. How do we make speciesist language the same? How do we let people know it's not cool to say a criminal is an animal it, or a human killer or serial killer is an animal? How do we say it's not cool to um, say whack-a-mole or to say skin a cat or to say uh, any of the, even ducks in a row. Ducks in a row are so you could all shoot them at once. Yeah. This is, it's, it's so prevalent. What's the solution? How do we tackle it? There's no silver bullet, um, but I think we all need to engage in the social movement. The reason why some somewhere we are not allowed or it's not acceptable to say certain things about people now, it's because the social movements that took upon themselves to further and demand these groups' rights have become have made it well known uh, um, how offensive and how difficult and how unfair and uh, unjust these words are. And the, the, the animal rights is a, is a social movement. And I think people really need to engage in it and, and, and um, commit to engage with this, this whole thing. And I think um, the, the whole media content that we produce, um, you, Jane, wonderful, and the books, and uh, as the caller said before, write a song or make a movie, whatever, this, it has to incorporate this. But even if I engage with people on social media or uh, uh, my work uh, at work or my social circle or whatever, or family dinners, we need to engage. We need to stem this uh, linguist issue out because it's up to us. And if we don't do this, if we don't engage in this, then no one else would. The animals certainly have no ability to do it for themselves. And what I really like, I like the sentence, doing nothing does harm. So doing nothing, just sitting in and saying, oh, this is terrible, that will not fix anything. You really have to commit to engage, to talk about it, to correct people, to publish things, to go out there, you know, be active to a certain degree. You don't have to march the streets. You can be active in many other ways, but it's up to all of us to engage in this movement. And uh, I think one of the challenges is, I believe it was Dr. Melanie Joy who coined the term speciesism, which is a fantastic term. Uh, and she is such a brilliant, brilliant uh, person. And sometimes people go, what? Speciesism. It's kind of, and oh, she coined the term carnism. Carnism yeah. is the term she coined. Uh, and somehow there's speciesism too. I don't know who coined it. I, I have to educate myself on that. Perhaps you know. Uh, but maybe there's a, a, a sort of simpler way to say it, like cruel language. Cruel, stop cruel language. End cruel language. Because let's do an exercise here. I'm a person talking to you because we do have to confront people and people yeah. kind of laugh. And then when you say speciesism, they go, what the heck is that? Um, yeah. And so I'm here, I'm talking to you and let's just use the example uh, that 
I used before just for sake of argument. So yeah, and trying to get the situation in my neighborhood fixed, but it's like whack-a-mole. Every time I, what do you do? How are you going to deal with that? I'm doing it again. You're going to have to jump in and tell me what the way. I'm dealing with this problem in my neighborhood. Oh my gosh, I fixed one and then it's it's like whack-a-mole. It pops up. Are you jumping in? Yeah, Jim, what, what I would do. I don't tend to jump. It's not kind of the key way I don't think. But, um, but I would actually tell you that using this um, saying, whack-a-mole, is, um, it has an embedded cruelty against animal there. And um, we can't justify or complain about in, one injustice by creating and perpetuating a, another injustice. Um, the thing is that um, with, with speciesism, I sometimes, to explain to people, I would use um, sometimes the word human supremacy because it immediately assumes that you are above, that you have, you, that you're above the, the animals in the way that we understand other supremacies um, groups to, to be. And I think that kind of um, explains it to people that they can more um, relate to what speciesism is. But yeah, speciesism is just another ism. It's like sexism and racism, just it is against the animals. And it um, assumes human supremacy and the embedded animal cruelty. And I would kind of explain all that <laughs> to the person in a, like in a nice way. Yes, that was a great, uh, great way. And I thought what you said just now, embedded animal cruelty. Cruelty is embedded in our language. The first thing I think should, the first thing I think should happen, and maybe this has already happened, is a list of every single phrase that is offensive, that is human supremacy, that is speciesist, that is embedded cruelty in our language. That's the first thing I would say. And I would say, let's get rid of it and let's make it politically incorrect. Just yes. like it is politically incorrect and offensive to use certain language that pertains to humans. Let's make the whack-a-moles, the skin of cats, the kill two birds with one stone politically incorrect. Now, PETA did come out with uh, a feed two birds with one scone alternative to that phrase. And uh, that's clever and it's fun and it gets Brilliant. the same idea out, but we need alternatives. So the first thing I think we need is a list of everything. I think we need a list of every single speciesist uh, phrase that exists in the English language or any language. Then we need to come up with positive alternatives because people do need to express these ideas and these are fallbacks. First of all, it's lazy talking. Anybody who talks in cliches like kill two birds with one stone or whack-a-mole is kind of engaging in lazy conversation. It's a shortcut and these are cliches. And so it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't involve original thinking. So right there, it's um, not cool. And if we could also say that it's offensive, uh, we can't have the animals say that. They can't say it's offensive, but we as animal rights activists can say it's offensive to us. What do That's you think? That's right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, to, to take from a, a different um, 
area. Um, I used to say, oh, hey, guys, when I met my friends, hey, guys, and because it's very, it's very current, I don't know, it was very common to say, hey, guys. And then some of my friends, um, um, they came to say, you know, we don't like it. We don't like it to say, hey, guys, it, we are not guys, and um, we, we want it to be more, um, don't, don't use that. Don't use hey guys. And I heard it from several, several places. I don't know if it's a New Zealand thing or generally in the world, but I, I had to become more aware. And that's certainly when I text, sometimes when I text, oh, hey guys, to a group, uh, how it's going? Da, 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 let's do this. So and, oh, hold on. I can't do this because it offends people. It's, it's, um, I don't know if it offends people, but it makes them feel uncomfortable. So it's just making people aware. Oh, hold on. If this makes people feel uncomfortable, then I need to change the way I talk to people. And these are my friends. And they they felt comfortable enough to tell me this. So I need to oblige. And I need to be a good friend and um, aware of this. And this is just a really small thing. But if you ask people to say, oh, this, is, this offends me. And what you just said offends me. Um, then people, I mean, decent people at least, or people who don't, set out to hurt you deliberately will need to start thinking before they text, before they speak, before they relate to you, because we want to be a contributing social part of society, right? And, and have friends and, and be trusted. And so it's something that we can all do. And definitely when someone says something that offends me or that, um, even if I don't feel personally very offended, um, but I think this isn't right. I will stand and, and tell them why. But also if I think they said something that offends my friends, I would say something um, in, a, in a calm, in, in a friendly way, just to explain why. Well, I think, I think this, one, of the things we, one of the things we can do is say, hey, did you know that there's this new movement called speciesism and it attempts to get rid of language that encourages cruelty to animals. And on the list of bad phrases is the phrase you just used. I'm sure you didn't mean anything by it, but just so you know, it's not really cool anymore to use that phrase. I think if we did that often enough, I think it has to be a campaign. Uh, the list has to be made. And that's the first thing. Then the alternatives need to be clever and drawn up. And maybe that's a book in itself. And then the <laughs> third thing is, uh, along with the petitions to get people to uh, stop referring to animals as it, we need, to, uh, we need to get the word out there that it's not cool to say these kinds of phrases, that they're uh, actually hurtful to kids and to humans because it encourages callousness. And uh, I was watching uh, Downton Abbey, which, by the way, is a perfect example of how uh, a show that I would otherwise like becomes almost intolerable when you see the hunting scenes and you see the constant chopping up of animals. Now, of course, it's historically, pretty historically accurate. They did a lot of research and it's extremely well done. And that, that's what was happening with the aristocracy in those days. But there's a perfect example of people who are otherwise compassionate and they're chopping ham and they're shooting animals and you're like, whoa, the disconnect is really upsetting me. And that's why I have the fast forward button. But uh, 
one of the characters played by Maggie Smith says, a lack of compassion can be as vulgar as a veil of tears. And I thought, wow, is that not true? That is a great phrase. I'm going to use that. To encourage callousness in our children with this species, its language is to do the children a disservice. It's to tell them it's okay to be unfeeling. It's okay to be a tough guy and not care about the suffering of other beings. And that diminishes them as human beings. Maya. I absolutely agree with you. And I have, a, I have children that, um, especially my younger one, she's grown up as a, as a vegan, but also as an animal rights activist on her own right, because it's important to her that her peers at school will understand not just um, uh, what what's driving her, but understand what they participate in when they, you know, she had friends come to her and say, oh, I wish you weren't vegan because this sausage is great. And she she was already armed with enough information to tell them this is offensive. What you have is a, is a pig that was killed brutally and they suffered and it's not fair what you're saying. And she, so this is my parenting style, right? I don't, I don't lie to my children and I don't hide the truth and I give them enough knowledge so that they are armed with, with confidence to stand their ground and protect the animals. And I can see with her peers, with, with friends, that there are changes that are starting to happen because people are now understand. They had a, even the teachers at school, they had a trip to the zoo, to the zoo and they kind of already preempted that I would not send her. Um, so it was told to the whole um, child, um, children's or parents that, you know, we don't force it. Children can don't have to come to the zoo if they don't, if it's against your faith. <laughs> and and uh, so there is starting to, to, be, to be more, it's, it's spreading. Say that again. It's spreading the awareness that um, what, what the, the animal cruelty that it is in anywhere. When you're an educator and you want to teach children about, you know, animals and how they behave, you don't take them to a jail to show them jailed animals from Africa in the freezing Wellington hills and talk to them about uh, being kind to animals. And my daughter was very vocal about expressing that. And so the school knew that already. They preempted that we will object this zoo trip, and they um, they sent a pamphlet to all the all the parents to say it's all right if you don't want to send your child to the zoo, we accept that you don't have to. So you know, I kind of realized that it's probably because of me and and my daughter. Well, well done, well done. And when people ask me for directions to the zoo, I don't give them the directions. I try to explain to them why it's a prison for animals who have committed no crime. Um, Amy Sullivan says, philosopher Richard Ryder coined the term speciesism and uh, she uses the term uh, human supremacy. And then Michael Prick Prickrill, who is one of our contributors, so I'm sorry if I messed up your name, Michael, who's in Europe, says Peter Singer made it popular. Psychologist and animal rights advocate Richard D. Ryder coined the term speciesism in 1970. So this is a very relatively new movement. I mean, in the blink of an eye, 1970, uh, 
where are we headed? I believe that animal rights is the social justice movement of the 21st century and language is so important. So ending human supremacy in language is absolutely essential. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And I think it's a race against time right now because of climate change and where we are. Um, So it is a race against time. And I think we have to accelerate the pace by which we push this um, social movement, the the, uh, animal liberation, animal rights forward, because it's not just about the animals anymore. It's about all of us. We are on the brink of disaster and these disasters are interconnected like we said at the beginning of the show so it is in it 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 has to include everyone you know try to leave your comfort zone i know that some people live with family who isn't vegan or they people sometimes they're a bit afraid to join activism or speak up but i would encourage and, and really urge people to really become more vocal more to participate more because we have to accelerate the pace where we're going because it is a race against time. And I'm, I always say about myself, I'm a pessimist who believes in good in happy endings. Well, in this case, I'm a pessimist and I'm not sure there is a happy ending. So we really need to, to work hard to get both things in order, you know, get animal rights, animal liberation, done and and try to stop this catastrophe that is upon us. Well, we are almost out of time. I just want to say you're very inspiring and uh, look forward to our mini doc on this issue because uh, quite a few people are coming together to uh, really try to rub out these hurtful phrases that are not good for the animals, that are not good for us, and certainly don't involve original thinking. Now, to come full circle, the book, the trilogy, The Shed, Liberation is the second book and the final book, it was in our hands that just came out. This is a suspense novel uh, and it's got an animal rights theme, it's got a feminist theme, it's a great read and uh, it's absolutely compelling, maybe coming to a theater near you soon, Uh, this trilogy is available. There's a link to where you can buy it and I hope you check it out and it would be a great book as a gift, a trilogy triple book as a gift to um, young people who might be uh, interested in this kind of story as well. Now, uh, is there an audible? Is there an audio version? Not yet, um, I'm afraid to say. Um I'm kind of getting grip on everything in the publishing world, but there is no audible yet. I would suggest doing an audio, an audible immediately with um, audible skyrocketing. There's so many people listening to books. I confess, I listen to a lot of the books because I walk every day with my dogs in a carriage for about an hour. And I listen, that's when I listen to books (laughs) and you have a great voice. So you would make an incredible audible. Really? You have a great voice. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And uh, check out JaneUnchained.com. We have all these stories. This is going to become a story on JaneUnchained.com. And uh, get involved. Uh, vegan, pre-vegan, the clock's ticking. I did a documentary, Countdown to Year Zero, which is available on Amazon Prime. 
which really outlines how we have to transition to a plant-based culture by 2026, or we will have reached a point of no return. And what we're experiencing now with the heat and the floods and the wildfires is just unfortunately an appetizer of what's to come, but we can turn it around by switching our diet to plant-based globally. Thank you so much for joining us, Maya. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.